Welcome to Thinking Reimagined. Thinking Reimagined is a unique platform for thoughts provoking intergenerational dialogue in a diverse and inclusive setting with a focus on impactful change in the global workplace and community. Our stakeholders' conversations aim to spark thought, leadership, curiosity, engagement, collaboration, and learning amongst individuals, teams, and beyond. Enjoy, Enjoy this episode. episode and subscribe to Thinking Reimagined on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and other outlets. Yes. I'm excited for this conversation. <laughs> and there's a personal I mean, reason makes, for Angela and I. <laughs> yes, we have a personal reason why we're excited. Oh, there is a, there's a, this chemistry goes back longer than you've been alive. Mm -hmm. Correct, oh Angela? Yes. <laughs> longer than you have been alive. So it is like a that. wonderful honor to have my sister yeah. on this podcast. Yes, indeed. It, it is wonderful. Thank you for joining us. And I, well, I cherish this one. I love talking about mental health. So I'm excited. And to I am privileged to have my mommies in the house. Yes. <laughs> well said. Well, well said. said. Indeed. <laughs> All right, everyone. Welcome to yet another exciting edition of the Thinking Remarging. I am Nifemi Oguntoye. Let's talk about stress and depression. I'm joined by two yes. doctors on this particular one. One is a doctor of education. The other one is an actual medical doctor. So I'm Ooh, feeling, I don't know. Um, I, I, I am feeling intimidated. I, I like to be a doctor too. Someone should just give me like an honorary doctorate degree or something. So that, that it doesn't count me for me. It doesn't <laughs> count. You cannot use an honorary doctorate degree to refer to yourself. You've got to do All the right. work. So I'll go it. back to yes, school. Yes, indeed, you shall. I'll go back to school. <laughs> you know, all of us grew up wanting to be a doctor. They ask you as a child, what do you want to become? You say, I want to be a medical doctor. Until <laughs> the reality dawns on you. I found out that I can't even stare blood in the eye. So mm -hmm. doctor, I mean, medical doctor of med medicine is not my path. Mm -hmm. Dr. Ama, we just recently lost um, a very popular actress in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. And, um, yes. you know, I kind of have some level of connection with her because mm -hmm. she had a daughter when she was just about 14 years old. Mm -hmm. And my wife had met the daughter some years ago before she died. Lately, when we learned about her demise, many of our interviews came online about how she's openly um, talked about her battle with depression, depression and how she has suffered quite a number of things. It would appear, Dr. Ahmed, that um, open acknowledgement or perhaps, how do I put it now, knowing that you, you, you are battling depression isn't even enough, mm -hmm. given how things have turned out. You know, Nifemi, I'm so glad you brought up that topic because I've had a few people approach me over the last few days um, to discuss, I think her name was Ada. I may be wrong, but I think that was her name. And um, I've come to get bits and pieces from people. And it all starts with the traumatic experiences that she had, the loss of her daughter, I heard. I also heard that she's lost members of her family. 
So all of that accumulation of trauma causes stress, which Mm. leads to depression. So it is not surprising that she was, her heart was heavy because stress comes in multiple ways. You know, there's emotional stress, there's physical stress. I can, I can assure you she was dealing with both types of stress, physical and emotion for the various losses that she had. And I saw two photos and you could tell that there was actually a difference in her body over the course of time. Um, but the truth of the matter is we don't focus enough on mental health and we really need to bring that to the forefront because when you begin to have these traumatic experiences and when you do not heal from grief, you then go into other more um, extenuating circumstances which lead to depression. So knowing that you're depressed requires treatment. Mm-hmm. And um, the difference between what um, Dr. Angela and I do is I am not in the prescriptive end. And I know you describe me as an, as an educationist, but my background is much more extensive than that. I am more in the therapy, coaching, counseling end where we do a lot of talk therapy and we try to support people, particularly in the early stages of stress, Mm -hmm. as well as when the traumatic experience is occurring, as well as when they're going through the grief cycle, because that is a good place to catch it. Yes. Now, isn't isn't it? It's one of the best places, wouldn't you say? I would say, I would agree, keep talking, because I think what, what I'm really hearing very clearly from Infemi is that it's the early stage, and like what you said is that catching it in the early stages and from him, acknowledgement that you have depression and you're struggling with depression is not really enough. And just like Dr. Amos says, the best place to catch it is in the early stages of that trauma or during the grief process. And I think grief is a whole topic itself. But the reason why I jumped in is that Um, just acknowledging that one has depression is not enough to keep you alive. You have to treat it. And like Dr. Emma is saying, treating it in the early stages is really important because that's the part that most, that's the part that the treatment is more successful. But that doesn't mean that treating it in the moderate and the late stages is also not um, possible because it really Mm -hmm. is. And the question is, depression is a severe, significant medical illness. It's a medical illness, it's like having diabetes. That I compare it to when you get into that, when you flip from stress and grief into depression, you're not in a medical illness. You're not like someone who has diabetes. And if any of us were told by our doctors that we have diabetes and our blood sugar is 400 plus, when the normal blood sugar should be under 200, um, yes, we can do diet and exercise. So just like we do with the treatment of stress and early stages of depression is the diet, the exercise, the coping strategies, the self-help. But when you get into the severe stages of diabetes where your blood sugar is six to 800, that's not going to be enough. That doesn't mean everybody who gets a blood sugar of 600 diets. Same thing with severe moderate depression. Not everybody who's battling with those significant symptoms dies or commits suicide or hurts somebody else. But you have to get the right treatment. And I think treatment, getting the right treatment and being open to a combination of medications, therapy, even in severe cases, electroconvulsive therapy, ECT, what we do in the US here, I don't think it's approved in Nigeria yet, but it's a non-invasive treatment called transcranial magnetic stimulation, where you actually just use a magnet to tap your head and allow your brain to remember the use of its natural chemicals. Thank you. So forgive me, Dr. Angela, because... um, 
you've taken us to the advanced level quick, real fast. Uh, and since you did not block... <laughs> That's what I, I agree <laughs> that you do 24-7 for 25 years here in the US. <laughs> so let me do a proper introduction. Yes, Dr. Angela Umwonabe is um, a board-certified psychiatrist, a diplomat of the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology, and we're talking about close to 40 years experience in general medicine and 24 years practice experience in psychiatry and psychopharmacology. So you know exactly what we're dealing with. But I'd like us to break it down mm -hmm. because in Nigeria, where I'm currently at, you know, I crisscross the world a lot often mm -hmm. these days in my mind. You know, one, <laughs> one minute I'm in Jamaica, the other minute I'm somewhere else. They say here that um, everybody's stressed up, that everyone is depressed. So people really don't get it until it becomes fatal. I mean, when you when you tell someone you are depressed, they're like, what are you talking about? They really don't pay much attention. I mean, you're not sick. You don't have cancer. You're not bedridden. Mm -hmm. They call it a white man disease. <laughs> Perhaps you can help us understand what stress is and um, the impact or how it leads into depression so that people can really identify what exactly we're talking about. I think those are good questions. I think um, I'm going to start from the, the back and then have Dr. Amma start from the stress part. I'm going to start from when it gets to the medical illness called depression. How do we recognize the difference? I think there are two very quick tools we use in the US. This is PHQ2. It's called the Patient Health Questionnaire 2. And it's just two questions. If you can ask your wife after your daughter's graduation, you can ask your sister, and you can score it yourself because it correlates with treatment, people, you can say to somebody, you, you're very depressed and the person says, well, we're all depressed. No, we all may be unhappy or we may all be sad or we may be stressed out or we may be burnt out, but that does not mean necessarily we're, we're depressed. So when we say we're depressed, we look at these two questions. Have you had little interest in doing things in the last two weeks? Has your interest in doing things decreased? So we, we score it on a scale of zero to three. Zero means no, I'm still doing my podcast. I'm still driving my daughter to school. I'm still taking my wife out to dinner. I'm still talking to my friends. Some days is one. Nearly every day would be a two and all the time or every day would be a three. And so the second question is, have you felt low? Have you, has your mood been low in the last two weeks? And it's the same scoring rate, zero to three. And if you say yeah, most days, nearly every day, my mood has been low, that would get you a, a two. And if it's every day, then that will get you a three. The scores of three and above on those two questionnaires are very closely linked to the medical illness we call depression. And the reason why I call it a medical illness is that the symptoms of depression are very clear and significant. So we have five major symptoms that when you experience those and you've experienced them consistently over a two week period, you really are depressed. And so what are those symptoms? You know, Lack, the first symptom which you, you talk about is the lack of interest in doing things. So has your interest and your pleasure in your regular routines, your exercise, you're going to see friends and family, you're playing golf, you're taking your family you know, to your daughter's graduation. If somebody said to you, your daughter's graduating today and you say, you know what, I don't think I can go, that should be an alarm because that's a regular routine thing that should give you joy and you should want to be able to do. And then now you're not able to do it. So that's one. The other one is feelings of, you know, problems with sleep. 
And I know we all talk about problems with sleep in Nigeria. You have the issue of no light and heat and you have to sleep at a lower body temperature that it, and it's always hot. So that's kind of difficult to assess, but problems with sleep, problems with a decrease in energy. Somebody who's energetic, you, you wanna lie in bed all the time. You can't really get up. You know, problems with, problems with concentrating and focus. So the normal things you would be able to do at work, somebody would bring you something to read and sign off and you can't even do that. So that's a concentration. And then feelings of guilt, you know, am I really doing what I should be doing? Am I up to um, par? Am I measuring up? You know, where did I miss it? You know, should I have done something different? I'm 40 now. Where has my life gone? And that constant, you know, rewinding and perseveration and those feelings of guilt is also a significant part of depression. So when you have all those and you feel like your body is slow and people say you're not moving as quickly and you look slowed down and like, I might refer to the actress's picture where you can see a difference in somebody's face. And when you see somebody like the way you were talking and the way I'm talking now, and Dr. Amma's talking, we're moving a lot. Maybe sometimes, you know, I'm always excited when I talk about depressions, so I probably move a little too much, but excessive movement and a lack of movement. So you see some people when they're talking, they're just like this. They can barely move. We call that psychomotor retardation. So out of all these five areas, and of course, thoughts of suicide, Sometimes people commit suicide and people say, well, where did that happen? It came out of the blue. A lot of times it doesn't come out of the blue. You have to be able to ask a family member, especially our young adults and teenagers, you've been feeling down when they say to you, I'm feeling down daddy or uncle, I'm not doing well. You wanna ask, have you had thoughts of wanting to kill yourself? Have you had thoughts of wanting to end your life? Have you, do you think you're not worth being here? Because the brain, it's a chemical illness when it gets to that point. And the brain tells you things that are not real. And you begin to think that you're a burden to your family, you're a burden to your friends. You know, the world will be better off without you. So that's the point you want to catch this significant medical illness. So when you say to the question, you know, how do we know we're depressed? We know when we ask, a lot of us, one is we need to be able to separate our clinical depression from stress and grief and unhappiness. And if any of these five things I talked about applies to anybody, and if all five apply, then you're depressed. Wow. You're depressed. Absolutely. One plus one is two. And you can blow it off and call it stress, but you can actually do what you should do and see a doctor and see a psychotherapist and have the therapist assess, does this need medication at this time? And people are terrified of all these depression medications. And I always say that some of the medications we take like Tylenol or Panadol, if we need to look at the side effects, the medications for depression are much easier to take. So I think it's part of that stigma. And those of us in Nigerian born or in Nigeria, or we're not alone with seeing mental health as something that nobody should talk about or makes you strange, or you should, you're strong and you need to pray about it and get stronger. We're not alone in that because every minority culture feels that way, whether you're Hispanic, whether you're African-American, like those of us that practice here, whether you're, you know, Jewish American or, you know, Chinese American or Nigerian American or Nigerian Nigerian. There are all sorts of titles these days. But whatever you are, it's, 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 it's like saying um, Nigerians don't get diabetes or Americans don't get diabetes or they don't get hypertension or they don't get cancer. It's a medic, you know, when you get to this stage where you have medical symptoms, we want to stop thinking about it as a, an illness in your head that you can talk yourself out of it. At that point, it's a medical illness. Absolutely. Wow. wow. I have to Fantastic. agree with you. But, you know, Nifemi, I wanted to add very quickly that stress is, in the simplest form, a reaction, the mm -hmm. body's reaction. 
to a situation or an emotional upheaval of some sort. I mean, you can be in a stressful work environment that will make you ill and anxious at all times, or you could be going through grief or the breakup of a relationship or divorce, or even the birth of a child can be stressful and it would change the chemical makeup of your brain where you would need therapy or you could also need medication. So there's so many things to think about here, but I think the most important thing that Dr. Angela has focused on today is recognizing and understanding that all of this really starts with the brain. And you know how much I love the brain, um, Nifemi. I'm always talking about the brain and the chemicals and we always focus and I do this all the time with clients. Think about your diet. Think about your sleep. Think about your exercise. Think about how you're connecting with people. Um, When you're not able to do those things, there's something going on. And burnout, burnout can come from all kinds of things. It's not about just being stressed at work. It can be not being happy at your job you know, or just the daily routine that you have to burn out comes from so many things. And people don't think of it as a chance to stop and reevaluate. One thing I will say is COVID, the experiences of COVID has forced many people to stop and think, am I happy at this job? Am I happy with what I'm doing? Am I burnt out? Because when you're burnt out, you can't function. You want to stay in bed a little bit longer than necessary. So we literally will have to say to you, you know, go out and exercise, go out and meet people. Let's talk about these things, because Mm -hmm. what we're trying to do is to increase the chemical level in your brain, the serotonin level, the dopamine level, the endorphins, because those are the things that allow you to wake up in the morning and get going and go. Now, there's a little trick in neuroscience about there's a certain level of stress that is needed to even function. Mm-hmm. the optimal arousal. You, we all have it and we know what it is. And when we get there, we're at an optimal level of performance and engagement with others. So we can always tell when it has dropped and you're losing interest, right? Or when it's just sort of like, oh, yeah, okay, I can get through this day kind of thing. But we're looking for long health because we do know from research that if you don't sleep well, if you don't take the time to sleep, you're more likely to end up, of course, with some genetics involved here mm-hmm. with Alzheimer's and dementia. So sleep, I tell people all the time, please just sleep, give your brain a rest. And the type of sleep you have is important. Closing your eyes for seven hours and say, I'm sleeping is not the same. It has to be restful sleep. The body temperature has to drop at least 10 degrees, which is very difficult when you're in Nigeria and there's no electricity. But we know this scientifically. Your body temperature has to drop to an optimal level of about 10 degrees lower than normal so that you can be in that restful sleep so your brain can repair your body, file all the information that's there, and you wake up alive, rejuvenated to go forward for the next day. When you don't do that, then you're sluggish all the day, and then you become irritable, then you become reactive, and the next thing, I'm overwhelmed. Yes, so there's a difference between all of these, and I want to just say this before I move on. Your thoughts are so important. If you can capture your thoughts, you can stop the spiral. And it's called metacognitions. 
change your thoughts so that you can think better, more positive, all of mm -hmm. those things. When you miss those, those, those key moments to change your thoughts, then you start going into your emotions, which leads to your feelings, your feelings of sadness. You know, feelings are just your way of trying to express the emotion that you're feeling. But that started with your thought. So being clear on your thought and being aware of it helps you to sort of um, create the resilience that you need. And when there is no resilience, you just spiral and you just keep spiraling. So it, the most important thing is be aware of when you've had a traumatic experience, whether it's burnout, grief, any of those things and more. Be aware of what you're, what's stressing you so you can remove the stressor because by removing that stressor, then you can engage with others and you can get on with what will be considered your normal life. But food, mm -hmm. exercise, and sleep right. are so yeah. vital. That's an yeah. important point that Dr. Anna raised, but it, I always, you know, sometimes, especially we living in the realities of the Western world where we live, sometimes you can't remove that stressor. So how do you cope with it? If that stressor is a bad boss or a bad job, I mean, we're not in the position, a lot of us that live in the Western world, we're not in the position to say, I can't do this job anymore. You know, you may have to do it for another year while you're looking for something else, while you're finishing school, or for a lot of reality for immigrants while you're filing your papers. You know, so how do you manage yourself knowing that a particular thing is stressing you and not allow it to push you into depression? How do you, when you can't take away that stressor, how do, you, how do you still cope with that stress in place? Mm. Yeah. Well, there are lots of strategies you can use mm -hmm. to, to, you know, there are lots of strategies you can use to um, cope with stressful situations. Mm -hmm. There's some very simple things like listening to music, mm -hmm. having a, a photograph that brings you joy or oh. peace in your heart. That's very simple things. Um, being aware of the person is going to stress you. So you sort of prepare yourself for when you're going to engage with that situation mm -hmm. or that person. It's very, it's really very important because there's a lot of stress. Um, being able to control your anger, your feelings, you know, actually it's being able to control your emotions and it starts with your thoughts because the, the, the byproduct is, is the feelings that you come to express. Um, you're in an accident and somebody comes out and starts shouting and yelling. What that person has done is triggered something from the past. And so you're reacting to it. But in that process, you're elevating your blood level, you're, you're, you're screaming, nothing is being resolved. But if people can stay calm, then you can reduce your blood pressure. Then you can have a way of engaging with the other person and having dialogue. And then you can move away from it but being aware of it. And unfortunately, when you say you're stressed over here, everyone says, oh yes, I'm stressed too. No, the level of stress that each person can tolerate varies. Mm -hmm. So each person has to be aware of what is the tolerance level. When can you remove yourself from a stressful situation? And if you can't, then you have to have coping skills to get through that stressful period. And hopefully it is not prolonged because if it's prolonged, you go into depression where you Indeed. don't want to get up in the morning. Yeah. This is the Thinking Reimagined podcast, sponsored by Allied Empowerment. Allied Empowerment Consultancy offers leadership and innovation through bespoke human development solutions, brain-based leadership and coaching. Allied Empowerment empowers business leaders, teams and individuals 
to intentionally accentuate desired outcomes built on trust, curiosity, psychological safety, engagement, and communication. Allied empowerment, thriving in a sustainable and valued manner. Indeed. I like us to flip the page on this conversation because what we're talking about here is very real particularly when you look at the number of um, persons with mental illness uh, roaming our streets. Uh, some months ago, it was about the number of people who, who are desirous of just jumping into the lagoon on the Fort Mainland Bridge and things like that. Many people would even turn to drug addiction when, when they are faced with stress and um, um, depression. But I'd like us to also talk about how to seek help. I remember a friend of mine who got divorced recently. He lives in the U.S. and they told me, "Oh, I have a meeting with my therapist." I'm like, "No, we don't. We don't see therapists here. We go to church. We don't. We don't. Um, we don't even. I mean, the business of therapy just for a few people who are catching up with it will think that oh, I really need to sit down with someone and discuss my stress, my depression issues. We, we don't." We don't even see it as a medical issue as it were. How do people begin to reach out for help? Where do they get help? And what do loved ones who have people in this situation, how can they help, you know, and be succor at, at times like this? Dr. Angela. Yeah. Well, I think I'm going to defer a lot of that to Dr. Amazon. She practices in situ, but I think um, it's a great question in terms of how does one reach out for help here in the US as because it became, as you said, a very serious problem, um, depression, mental health issues, especially post-COVID. Um, just recently, they launched the 99988 number for suicide. So you can just pick, pick and we've never had that. So it, it's a suicide, it's a crisis number. If you have a family member who's in crisis, now you just need to pick up the phone, just like the way we pick up and do 911, you can pick up the phone and do 988. I think in Nigeria, because I being a Nigerian myself and proudly so, I have a lot of Nigerians in Nigeria who reach out to me to say, you know, I, I'm dealing with this. I have a family member who is dealing with this. Um, how can I get them help? I mean, I usually talk to friends like Dr. Amahu, a resource. I have a, several um, friends who also practice. I think there's a very abundant, or maybe not as robust as we would like it, because that's everywhere in the U, even in the developed world. It's everywhere. How does how do we as a, as a community meet the mental health needs of our of our society? And 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 the needs are a lot. And I think the needs outmatch what we have even here. And like you said, your friend said he was going to see the therapist. I think that's part of why we're having this discussion today is educating people about avoiding the stigma. You know, even here because we have the stigma coming from home. Like you said, going to church. We have a lot of Nigerian youths very recently who committed suicide. I have a friend's child who just jumped into the street and was knocked down by a, an 18 wheeler truck. This was just a, a less than a month ago. A young Nigerian boy who was in school here, he just, you know, he couldn't take it anymore and he just jumped out of his home window and jumped into the street. And so it's, it, it, the tragedy is there, but what I want us to do, because a lot of times it's easier to focus on the tragedy and those stories that hit the headline, headlines, but I think none of those things didn't happen without the beginning and the best part is to catch it early and we should always have those open conversations with ourselves and our friends how are you feeling today and get the right answer sometimes when people ask me how are you feeling today um angela or Dr. angela i say oh my god terrible and then they're shocked 
the automatic thing is, oh, I'm, I'm doing well. Yeah, hey, I'm doing well. But if you're not doing well, let's have those honest discussions and say, I'm not doing well. I haven't slept. I didn't sleep that well. Oh, I'm having a bad day. Those are real discussions. And the reason why I say it, one, sometimes I am having a bad day, but I'm not afraid to say it because that's the field I'm in. And remember, it's several bad days altogether all the time that equals depression. One bad day dozens. I'm not afraid to say, oh my God, today is not a good day. I didn't sleep well. I'm tired. Or I just feel emotionally drained. And I think part of that is modeling that conversation for other people to be okay with saying I'm doing okay. So listening to each other and asking those real questions, how are you really doing? And I think it starts with even asking our family members, you know, asking your, your daughter, her friends, when they come to the house, your wife, your sisters, you know, we it keeps saying you look so stressed out, you're depressed and we dismiss it, but maybe the person really is. You know, and they're reaching out to help. And I think a good place to start is actually church. I think what church does really well, in my opinion, is it allows us to focus on the things that we have. And Emma will tell you that's really a good strategy, the gratitude journal. You know, so I constantly giving thanks, which I think church is really good at, um, giving thanks for being alive, giving thanks for family, because a lot of, like Dr. Emma said, with the thoughts, a lot of times we, our thoughts lead us through those negative feelings because we always focus on what is not there, but giving yeah. gratitude for actually what is there is really important. And one of the tricks I use, I still do that every day, and I've done that for the past 20 something years that I've, I've practiced psychiatry here is every day I try to find something that you're grateful for. So keeping that gratitude journal. And I have a 30 day period where I try to do two things that are not the same thing as in that 30 days. So yeah. like for you today, having been able to have the gas in your car to drive to your daughter's graduation and still join this podcast are two things. And tomorrow it will be two other things. And it teaches your brain to constantly look for the positive in your life and not focus on the negative. So for me, that's been a personal, a very helpful trick to use all the time. So what am you I know, doing? Dr. Angela, you touched on something very powerful, the power of listening. I, I had a very life-changing experience in the newsroom one day. So some, some of our bosses, one of them, uh, there are quite a number of people who would say he doesn't listen at all. Mm-hmm. So while we're having that conversation, he called one of my colleagues on phone. And the guy put it on speaker and he said, guy, how are you doing? The guy said, I have cancer. He said, good. Now I want you to quickly go at, he wasn't listening. The, the guy said that he, he had cancer. He said, that's good. And then he went on to say whatever it is. It's what topic of the day. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's, it's very important that we begin to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, personally, I've noticed um, changes in my wife when she started giving birth mm-hmm. and I didn't know how important these topics were until when I started paying attention to the things she was saying, how she was feeling. You know, you talked about the issues with interest and energy earlier. Mm-hmm. I think that we must begin to pay attention, not only to our partners, but to our neighbors. Mm-hmm. People are actually going through a lot and we can be that shoulder to lean on um, that person who can help them understand what to do and where to go for help. The time you mentioned earlier about the importance of rest. I like to just chip this in very quickly because, you know, again, they will tell you that it is rich people that have time and money for vacation and then to, to, to actually take a rest. When you consider the economic reality of um, 
many Nigerians, um, I know that there's a global platform, but I'm just using Nigeria as an mm -hmm. example. Uh, the challenge, the economic challenge, it sometimes is very difficult to say, I want to set a time apart for rest and for vacation. How do such people think like that? What do you say to them, Dr. Amma? So if I may, I just want to piggyback on something that Dr. Angela said um, earlier about being aware of when somebody is um, stressed and um, recognizing it and using the church as a place to check on each other and to connect and communicate. Yes. I am of the opinion that we actually need to start in the schools as well, because mm -hmm. if we can teach children mm -hmm. to understand the importance of brain health and physical activity, which many children do not do in school these days, compared to when we were in school, um, and a proper diet, and then teach them to recognize when they have thoughts and how that can become an emotion and to be able to express it in the, with feelings or know what are you feeling and to give credence to the feelings that children are experiencing, we're going to be in better line to help them mentally to cope with stress and to be able to identify and discuss when they may not be well, mentally well, feeling depressed, you know, feeling stressed, grieving. They don't have the language. That language is not being used and we need to use that language to begin with. I also think that in the societies, I mean, it doesn't matter whether in Nigeria or elsewhere, because of the negative connotation of being depressed or being stressed, nobody wants to be around anyone who is stressed because I don't need your negativity or I, oh, you know, you know all of that recognizing that these are all part of human emotion and human behavior and human activity is important because then you can break it down to, as she said, today is a rough day. Or as I said to my team today, it's a very impactful day. I'm inundated. In other words, please recognize that this is the state that I am in and try not to bring any more in because I am trying to get through this day as I normally would. And expressing that is important to your team, to your family, but also being open. So if you see someone who is not doing well or who seems stressed or anxious, are you all right? Is everything all right? Just to engage. That's all. People just want to be acknowledged in one way or the other. Oh, I'm having a rough morning. Oh, I didn't sleep well, as she said. Oh, this is happening in my life. And you give them two, three minutes. You will be amazed how just getting attention from another person, your serotonin level goes up. You begin to feel love and connection with somebody else. And there's a dopamine boost. Now, your question is, how do you go on holiday? We certainly, I, I don't go on holiday. How do you go on holiday? You can go on holiday in your mind, your actually. You started off, Nifemi, by saying, I, I might be in Jamaica one day and then another day. That's you going on a holiday in your head because you're looking at other places as a way of reducing the stress, as a way of sort of taking your mind away so that you can create other situations or scenarios for yourself. It doesn't mean you're going to act them out and you can't go on a holiday every day or every time something's going on that is uncomfortable because stress, that reaction in your body is really about discomfort. 
and that discomfort is what is playing out. So you can go on, I, I go on holidays every Sunday in my house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do. I, it's a mental holiday. Mm-hmm. It's a mental holiday. It is the day that I am not, I'm not interested in any parties, invitations, phone calls. I can go down the list and everybody who knows me knows, do not ring her on Sunday unless it is an absolute emergency. That is my holiday Sunday, a day for myself to relax, to unwind, to not be thinking. You need a day when you're just not trying to do everything. And even if you're doing work, it's the work that you choose to do at that moment. You choose, not somebody's demanding it, you choose to do. But here's the other thing that I always tell my clients, what is your hobby? What do you do that fills you up? that is not work-related and you enjoy? Is it listening to music? Is it coloring? Is it knitting? Is it gardening? All of these activities are incredibly important, but we don't do enough of them. We get to a certain age and we think, oh no, that's for children. Oh no, I don't have time for that. Make time for yourself and fill your life certain times of the day or the week with something that feels good, that gives you joy, fulfillment, makes you happy, makes you smile, you know, just do something and you will feel better. And, you know, here's another thing I always tell people, look at your posture. If you notice your shoulders are going higher, drop them. Just by physically catching yourself when you're getting tense and stressed and just drop it, you will feel better. But everyone is going around like that and that's not natural. All of that is just pent-up energy, but if you just loosen up a bit, you feel better. And that's one of the reasons why exercise is important. Beautiful. And I Beautiful. think when we talk about the issue of holiday, I think like Dr. Amma said, you don't necessarily have to go somewhere. I think Nigerians, as we all know, we like to travel, you know, but that's I right. think, you know, like one of my favorite American authors always says that, and Lamont, she says, when you unplug everything, everything works better. So just like Dr. Emma said on her, on Sundays, it's her day for herself. I think a lot of us are overconnected to our phones and even just taking your phone, putting it on mute and leaving it upstairs in your home while you do something, maybe make a meal that you haven't made in 20 years, alone is a break. So having those times in your day where you, you aren't connected to your social media, you're not on the phone, you're not, you know, you know, the phone now has everything from WhatsApp to YouTube, to Instagram, to Facebook, you know, people are constantly connected, you know? So I think even just that mere act of unplugging implies a, a, an amount of time that's your time. So even making that, for people having that habit of doing it certain times in a day or certain times in a week or just one full day a week or every two weeks where zero, nothing comes in. And the people who Absolutely. know, yeah, because it, when there's really an emergency, people will find a way to take care of it. A lot of times we'll say, well, like my parents say that to me, so your, te- your t- phone is always off from 10 p.m. What if there's an emergency? I'm like, mom, I'm how many thousand miles away? You'll find a way to deal with an emergency. Like, like I tell my kids too, when there's an emergency, they live in America, call 911. We're not as, um, what do they call it? We're not as relevant as we like to think we are. Yeah. Yeah. And there's really no emergency anywhere. And you know, thank you for the, thank you for the great holiday ideas. It means that 
don't go to Dubai and end up paying for it for the next 30 years of your life. That will make you more stressed and depressed, you know, long after the yeah. vacation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're wrapping yeah, up absolutely. now. I'd like you to talk to us, Dr. Angela, about how successful medical intervention has been in this regard. Because I remember speaking with a friend of mine. She's married and she just called my wife um, some months ago about and opened up about the issue of mental illness. And um, the fact that they gave her some drugs to use, but she just did not like how those drugs make her feel. The drugs make her big. She sleeps almost all the time. It renders her almost useless. I'd like us to speak very very frankly to us. Uh, Is there real success uh, for medical intervention or we have to just really take advantage of relationships, families, and the things that you've talked about earlier. I would say, and so I'm a little, I would say I'm biased in this, but I think my bias is supported by the research in that treatment, depression, and stress that has led into depression or anxiety are very treatable illnesses. They're chronic illnesses like any chronic illness, you have to manage it. So sometimes, you know, the, American Psychiatric Association says that you treat depression for a year symptom-free and you can come off medications. Just like anything, we're treating arthritis, we're treating cancer, we're treating hypertension. Sometimes medications don't make you feel well. What you do is you go back to your doctor and say, these medications don't make me feel well. I have thousands of clients I see yearly and I know I've been seeing them from, some of them I've actually seen them from when they were teenagers. They've now finished They've recovered, they're married, they have children, they, they're in their professions and they're not, you know, so I've seen them for that long. And I think, I think this, it depends on how you measure the, your success. I think the medications are effective. You have to have somebody who is very astute with prescribing. A lot of us, when we hear that a medication is for mental health, we're what we call medication ambivalent. Nobody wants to take a medication to feel that they can function. But I think like comparing to every other illness, I would say that you know, our cure rate is very, very high. People do better. And if, if a lot of times that people who are talking about, you know, suicide and who have gotten to that end stage, just like you get to an end stage illness in cancer, um, can we pull the person back from the abyss with medication and ECT and therapy treatments as well as TMS? And the answer to that is yes. So we really do believe that, you know, if so... I think the treatments are effective. I think getting a good, catching early is I think is the most important part of the treatment. So just the same things um, um, Dr. Amma has been talking about, the same things he's been talking about, the same thing we've been talking about for the past hour, catching it early. When you don't catch it early and you're in the moderate or severe stages, is it possible to still get well? I think the answer to that is absolutely yes. I've seen that time and time again. So I'm a firm believer in that treatment works and, and proper treatment and staying consistent with the treatment and doing everything and having that relationship with your provider where you say, this is making me sleep all the time. I don't wanna take a medication that's keeping making me fat or making me sleep all the time. And that's not what all the medications do. So having that relationship with somebody and not showing up once in three or four months and saying that I don't think it's working, but making sure you get something that works for you by talking to your providers regularly. I would say treatment does work. I think the consequences of untreated depression are very clear you know, and all badly treated depression are very clear or inconsistent treatment or stress and depression are very clear. And we're talking about getting depressed and committing suicide, but what about getting depressed and having so much stress and getting cancer? Yeah, so those, are all predi- those are all predisposing factors. 
factors to multiple illnesses. So I think, um, you know, treating mental health is very, very important, probably more important than treating a lot of things that we spend a lot of time treating because it's a precursor of so many other illnesses. Yes. And then also sometimes you can't avoid having it. It's genetic. I forgot that part. 40 to 50% of mental health illnesses, depression, anxiety are genetic. If your mom was depressed, you have a 50% chance of being depressed yourself. So just like if your mom had diabetic diabetes, you're likely to be diabetic if you don't make those changes. You know, so if you have a family member, if you're depressed and in treatment for depression, your child has a 50% chance of also being depressed. You know, so unless they make those changes. I mean, we all know our, one of our past American presidents, Bill Clinton, who no relative, no male relative of his lived over the age of 40 because they all died of heart attacks. His uncle, his dad, his brothers, they all died of um, coronary artery disease and he is still living. So he made those significant changes in his 40s, even though he had a heart attack to become a vegetarian, you know? So wow. we are, we're shackled in some ways to our, our genetics, because if our family has it, we're going to, we are likely to get it, but you have to, you can unshackle yourself with lifestyle changes. So there's no mm -hmm. point taking that very stressful job that pays you two million naira a week. If you know your mom has depression, your sister has anxiety, mm -hmm. you know, there's no point. You're going to have to give up that two million naira a week job and take a job. Maybe it's a hundred thousand naira allows you to do your gardening time, allows you to cook and pick up your kids when you want to. One, because you're making that lifestyle change, not to push yourself towards depression and anxiety, which is part of your family genetics. Genetics. So I think wow. understanding that it's hereditary is important. This is a medical illness that is connected. And, not, and it doesn't mean that you can't do anything about it, but making those changes to say, I'm not going to end up like this is also important. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Angela. Dr. Tama, let me have your final thought on this. Well, my final thoughts is I'm so glad we've had this conversation. It is necessary. People are stressed. People are depressed. The epidemic, which has become endemic, continues to play a role. But there's so many other factors as to how people are living their lives that need to be addressed. And being able to speak about it, be aware of it, and open the avenues for help and cure and um, all of the things that are necessary for us to live, to live is a full-time job, is very necessary. So um, if you're not feeling well, if you're depressed or dealing with any form of stress or anxiety, grief, please talk to somebody, please seek help. Um, there is help out there and um, it doesn't have to be a lifetime punishment and you don't have to be stigmatized by it. Wow, thank you so much. A big thank you to the two doctors. Um, they didn't allow me to take my honorary doctorate. Uh, no. um, so I'm considering <laughs> going back to school. But Dr. Angela, a big thank you to you. Um, I mean, Dr. Angela came with over 20 years of um, practice experience in psychiatry and psychopharmacology. And I know that we haven't had the end of this. We have to have you on this platform again. Thank you so much for sharing with us. It was really a great time with you. Dr. Ama is the executive yes. producer of the Thinking Reimagine. Now, Dr. Ama, I know you're doing a lot, right? For women, for children, for humankind. But I think that long after you're gone, you might be most remembered for the Thinking Reimagine platform because many years after, people will come back to this platform to listen to um, um, these conversations and learn a lot. So I want to say a big thank you to you. 
uh, uh, for what you're doing. We're so proud of you. Dr. Angela, Dr. Ama, thank you for your time. Thank See you, you again some other time. Thank I'm Nifem Yukuto. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Angela. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a Thinking Reimagined podcast. The executive producer is Dr. Ama. Co-producer Peter Amon Boyle. And it is moderated by Nifemi Okuntoye. The podcast is edited by Nelkan and supervised by Dun Sokwa. Thinking Remarchant emphasizes the importance of transformational conversations which have as their aim the bringing about of the rich diversity of thoughts and most importantly, powerful and applicable effective solutions and change. The views, opinions and contributions of the panelists are exclusively theirs and do not reflect the opinions of thinking reimagined producers or personnel. Thank, Thank you, you for listening, listening and we, we hope you have enjoyed, enjoyed this episode. episode. We invite you to subscribe to Thinking Reimagined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play and other outlets. We look forward to presenting another riveting episode next week. Thinking Reimagined Podcast is produced by Live Abundantly. We welcome your thoughts and invite you to visit our website, livesabundantly.com. Or you can follow us on social media on Live Abundantly 8. Thinking, Thinking Reimagined, changing the mindset for a better global society. society.